if you've been around, you, we've been talking on a couple different storylines, right? And one of the ones that I've spoken on um, the last couple times has been your narrative, your personal narrative, your workplace narrative. What's God called you to? Understanding that and keeping focused on what he said and, and understanding just how you fit in his larger picture. And we've also been talking um, through just even the seven um, spheres of influence, right? Arts, entertainment, media, the seven doors, as, um, as, <laughs> as Emily called them, but all these seven spheres, you know, government, that we each, you know, have a specific call to. And, and, you know, Bill last week was talking about even, like, our calling in those areas, but even that God is the God of the long haul, right? He, it's the marathon, not the sprint. We ha- we, and it, so it's all, it's all vision-related, and it's all related to walking in your purpose and calling, seeing transformation of cities, discipling nations, so that's where we've been going, and, and today I, I want to stay on that theme, but in a little different, um, switch it a little bit. So maybe about a few weeks ago, we had our Friday night service, and the theme that came out of that Friday really strongly for me was seeing Jesus, like seeing him truly for who he is, knowing him, seeing, seeing the resurrected Christ. And that theme, I feel like, has been consistent in me, and I even saw it this past Friday night, like of seeing Jesus for who he truly is. There's a freedom and a wholeness um, that comes when we truly see him. And I, w- I was listening to um, how it relates to narrative. When we see him for how he truly is, we ab- that's how we truly abide in his love. That's how we truly begin to operate in the things he's called us to when we see him, when we connect with him in that way. And I was listening recently to uh, a sermon by Mike Bickle out of IHOP, and I want to quote him because I think it's it's a very... It's where I want to go this morning. Um, and he said, he said, instead of trying harder to love God or to walk into purity or to persevere or to reach the lost or to do any of these things, like instead of trying harder, what we really need is to see Jesus more clearly. Now, that's a pretty massive paradigm shift. I'll say it again. Instead of trying harder and said, you know, the Bible says, like, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all the strength. This is the greatest commandment. This is the ultimate, you know, goal of our life. And then to love our neighbor as ourselves. How do you do that? Instead of trying to do it on your own strength, see Jesus clearly. Say, God, would you show me Jesus clearly? Would you show me who he really is? That is a paradigm shift for me personally. That is a totally different way of approaching your life. And I, I want to hit on that theme from a number of different angles. Um, now, okay, this is funny on so many levels. So we don't talk about, I don't t- tell the worship team what we're sharing on what we're doing. Uh, I don't tell them anything. So I had a dream last night, and in my dream, I am just super parched. My, like, I'm like, I'm so, my throat is so dry. I, it's like you never get in that place where you literally like, you're like, gosh, if I just, I just need one, I don't, I feel like there's an ounce of water in my mouth right now. And so in my dream, I'm, I'm grabbing every cup of water that I can find, and I'm drinking it, and nothing's happening. <laughs> like, so I'm frantically searching in the dream world, right, to find this nourishment, this, this, this water that's going to satisfy my dryness. And, and so this is happening for quite some time. Who knows the natural, right? Dreams are so weird. Like, you're like, how much time was that? It was like an hour in a dream. I was so thirsty. Um, so I wake up, and it's probably like, like 1 o'clock, and I realize, no, I am physically, like, 
like dry mouth. Like there's, you know, that's like a, you know, some medical condition. I got dry mouth. Like somebody help me. And I, I, this doesn't happen to me. I don't know why. But anyway, so I run to the, I run to the kitchen. And I pour myself a big glass of water and I just chug the glass of water because I am just so parched. And as I'm sitting there drinking that glass of water, the Lord speaks to me so clearly. And he says, I offer you the streams of living water. The streams, John 4, Jesus with the woman at the well, the streams of living water. He says, where do I go get this water? He says, the water, this water is only temporary that you're drawing from this well, but the water I give you will produce in you streams of living water. And he's prophesying the coming of the Holy Spirit, but he's saying it's the water I'm going to give you. Jesus is giving you that water. And so it hit me so strong last night at like one o'clock. And we come here and we're singing it. I'm like, Lord, I know this is your word. I know this is just not something that's just a nice, fun thing. It is your word. So I'm really confident this morning. And, you know, just even this whole thing of living water, you know, whenever, you, whenever I, even today when we were worshiping, I kept thinking about the first time I tasted that living water in my life. And Bill's even talking about going back to your first love. When's the first time you tasted the living water of Christ? And it's so good to remind yourself how good it was and how good it continues to be. Because our testimony is not just that moment of salvation. Like, it's actually glory to glory to glory. It's continual. And that should be our testimony when we talk to people about Jesus. Hey, I was this, and now I'm this. And now you want to know what God did in my life last week, last month, two years ago? Do you want to know how he's reconstructed my heart, how he set me free, how he's, how he's set me on fire for the things that matter and, and destroyed the, the darkness that has tried to lurk and, dis- and, and take away my purpose and take away my life? So it's a continual testimony that we have in Jesus. But I remembered just now during worship, you know, when the Lord, when I first drank that water. And I was 18 years old. I was, didn't know who I was. I was out crying my eyes out in fields because I was depressed and suicidal and not knowing what the heck I was made for. And God met me in that place of brokenness. And I've never, I've never looked the same. <laughs> so you all have your own story. You all have your own, you know, moment. And, and some of you, maybe that moment, like, just happened or happened right now. Like, but it's important that we go back and we remember it and that we continue to desire that living water because it is a continual drink fest. It is, and a feast because it says Jesus is also the bread of life. And we're singing that as well this morning, the bread of life, the living water. It's all in Jesus. So how do we see him rightly? Because we want to run the marathon, right? That's what really, this, it's about seeing Jesus rightly, but it's so we can run the race. It's an endurance thing. When we see him rightly, we can actually fulfill our purpose and call. We can actually not get tangled up in the affairs of this world, but be more concerned with the heavenly things, be more concerned with the eternal things, be more concerned with the things of God and not the things of this earth, and really be a part of God's plan to bring the new heaven and the new earth. That's what I want to do with my life. So I really believe there's these habitual patterns that the Lord wants to form in us and in our thought process, where we run to him, where we pursue those, we pursue his heart, we see him clearly in times of trial and trouble. And it's a habit that he wants to develop in us. So the Lord began showing me, he was taking me through the different parts of scripture where Jesus revealed himself to uh, to the disciples and those that followed him. So that's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna go through a couple of different sections in the scriptures, in between when Jesus was raised from the dead and when he ascended. So he's, he's resurrected and he's walking around on the earth for about 40 days. 
And there's all these moments that are depicted in Scripture in the, in the four different Gospels of Jesus revealing himself in his resurrected form to the disciples and to those that follow him. So today I'm going to take you through. We're going to go through and look at these pieces and say, what does this reveal about Jesus? How do we know when we see him clearly? How do they respond when they see Jesus clearly? So it, it's going to be fun. So if you go through all these scriptures, right, and there's, there's like 10 or more, even more than that, of these moments when Jesus just showed up during these 40 days in between him um, being crucified on the cross and then ascending into heaven. So can you imagine, like, being the disciples during this time frame where it's like Jesus is, like, popping up at all these different junctures? Like, it would have been a really unique time, but also scary um, because Jesus just shows up in these random places. And the, the interesting thing is he chooses to show up in all these certain scenarios. And I think it's so true of just even right now when Jesus reveals himself to us, it comes in different places. It's not just in the prayer room. It's not just in these holy moments, you know. Now, those are real, and that's why we gather is to encounter him and to pour down on one another. But if you just look at, you know, some of these examples, right, he, he met some of them in the prayer room. They went to, they gathered to the mountain, the disciples, uh, because the Lord said go there. They're probably praying, and then Jesus shows up. Okay, that one makes sense. But how about when he met Peter at his job? Peter's out fishing. He's doing his job. He says he wasn't even fully clothed. I mean, he was wearing something, but he's just out there on the boat, and he, Jesus shows up on the job. I would like to encourage you that he wants to meet you, reveal himself clearly to you. That clarity may not come on a Friday night. It may, or right now, but it also may come in the middle of your workday when you're not expecting it. And he'll, you'll see him clearly, and it will change you. It has to change you. He met them on their commute, the road to Emmaus, right? You have the two disciples, and they're just walking along, talking about all the things that are happening, and all of a sudden, Jesus rolls up right beside them. How good would that be if you're on your morning commute around a lot of crazy New Yorkers, and the Lord comes and just invades and shows himself clearly to you, and you get right-minded, and you start worshiping him, and, and you start coming into a place of freedom and wholeness. It can happen anywhere. And I think he made a point by meeting them everywhere. I, I, I love that. So I've got three points to this message. What happens when you see Jesus? Oh, I'll get to him. I got a bunch, Monique. I got a ton of verses. Um, so when you see Jesus, point number one, it causes you to worship. When you truly see him, you will worship him. It's a sure sign that you're encountering the Lord. It's, and it, you see that response all throughout the scriptures when Jesus shows up, right? The resurrected Christ. Matthew 28, verses 9 through 10. I'll be reading out of the New King James primarily. So this is the, the women at the tomb. And, and I'm going to go through a, a few other ones as well. Matthew 28, 9 through 10. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Do you see their response to Jesus? They come and they, I mean, that is, a, that is a strong response, right? Oh my gosh, the Lord. They come and they grab his feet and they hold him and they worship him. This gives you a picture of who this Jesus is that we're talking about. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and they will see me. You know, he says do not be afraid quite a bit. So you have to also say, 
you know, your response is worship, but there's also, there can be a level of fear in, in, you know, when you're standing before Jesus, like the risen one, the savior, the king of the world. That is a real thing. And you'll feel that sometimes in worship where you're just like, I got to get down on the floor because I am from a holy God. And, and that feeling is, that is, that is a, that's a sure sign that you're encountering the risen Christ right there. All right, here's another one. Luke 24, verse 52 and 53. And this is the disciples, or actually I'm going to go to, um, I think I missed one. I'm going to go to Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Isn't that interesting? The risen Christ just stood in front of you. And still some doubted. That is fascinating to me. That should be encouraging to you. Because <laughs> these are the people that changed the world. <laughs> these are the closest people to Jesus. And even in their doubt, he didn't give up on them. Even when he showed himself to them and they doubted, he didn't stop. And their destiny didn't change. Luke 24, verse 52. Now it came to pass, while, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. So this is right during the ascension, when Jesus is literally before them going up to heaven. And they worshiped him, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. The joy that they must have felt in that moment. This is part of being in his presence. This is part of seeing Jesus clearly. There is going to be an inexpressible joy that wells up in you. And it is a byproduct of seeing Jesus clearly. It's something we should expect. It's something we should, we should partake in. So it's interesting. If you look at, I'm going to go to Philippians chapter 2. Verse 9, if you look at this verse, it's, it's so wild because the whole earth is going to worship Jesus one day. The entire earth. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess. And it's, it's cool because Jesus comes, the, the resurrected Christ comes to the earth, and you see, like, the first fruits of this, where those that he that appears to, they immediately worship him because he's taking his place. He's he's. He's taking his place on the earth, and this is just the beginning. The entire earth will worship him. And, of course, the first thing that happens when he shows up and reveals himself is worship. And, it, and it's the thing that we continually do here. We take time, lots and lots of time, because it matters to God, because it sets our heart. It aligns our heart with his. And, and so I, I'm just going to read this, but I love that it's the initial thing that happens when Jesus comes, and it is the culmination of when he brings a new heaven and earth that all will worship him, that all will bow their knee and worship Jesus. Philippians 2.9, Therefore God also has highly exalted him, given him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of, heaven, of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is a powerful scripture. You could sit on that all day. That is a good word. So this, this worship, you know, you see worship detailed in Romans, and it, 
in Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 12. And you see the power of worship, and you see the destruction of false worship, what it can do to a person. So when we see Jesus rightly, there's a part of us then that will worship him, but that worship produces freedom inside of our hearts. Because if we're not worshiping him, we're worshiping something else. And it is binding our souls. And so the beauty of us seeing Jesus as he is, is we get to worship him. And that worship sets us totally free. And that is a strategy for deliverance. It is the best strategy for deliverance, is to see Jesus for who he is. You know, when, I'm, when I was suicidal as an as, you know, 18-year-old, nobody came and said, we break the spirit of suicide over you in Jesus' name. That would be great. But nobody said that to me. It broke because the love of God broke into my heart. And the, <clears throat> I got the parched mouth thing again. What's up with that? <clears throat> Jules had it too. All right, I'm prepared. I got the water. So... The living water. <laughs> is that what this stuff is? Um, but yeah, the, so I got set free because the love of God invaded me. And I'll tell you, the reason I was suicidal, I don't know about you. I mean, plenty of us have been. I worshiped man. I worshiped people. There was a particular person, a relationship that I put in such high esteem that when things didn't happen the way I wanted it to, I didn't want to live anymore. And so when I began to worship Jesus, naturally I was set free of that because now he's the one that rules and reigns in my life, not this person. And what they do does not shift my value or shift my sense of self. It's based in him. And when I see him, I know I'm valuable. I know I'm loved. And nothing, nothing can take that from me. So that, that is the power of worship. So I won't read it all, but Romans 1, you see, when, when we give ourselves over to darkness, when we give ourselves over to worshiping idols, it says their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. Instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols and made to look like mere people, birds and animals and reptiles. And Romans 1.29 says their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malice behavior, and gossip. You don't shift that stuff by just trying to do better. You shift it by worshiping Jesus, by seeing him clearly. And when you see him, you worship him. That's the key. Romans 12.1. This is the form of worship that I'm all about. This is the form of worship that set me free. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. This is New Living Translation, by the way. Let them be living and holy sacrifice that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. When you worship him, you'll know his will, good, pleasing, and perfect. He'll transform your mind. We're trying to counsel our mind. What we need to do is set our mind on Christ. Like, it's a totally different mentality. All right, point number two. So point number one, when you see Jesus, it causes you to worship. Point number two, when you see Jesus, it causes you to believe God. You actually believe. And so if you look through, 
Well, I'll tell you the story real quick. So years ago, um, I was at work, and um, I had some s- just some slander come against me at work, and my boss came to me and was really like, it was almost sounded like, you know, like I had a lot of favor at that time, but it was almost like, yeah, you're not, things aren't really working too well, like, you know, and it was just a very negative, like, bad, like, it wasn't even a review, it was just like, I could tell that there was some slander, I could tell that, you know, I mean, and perhaps I, you know, could have done better, right, don't always think that, <laughs> you could, you know, there could be a, a performance issue, um, but for me, it, it felt like more than that, it felt like there was a, there was a real slander, so I, I went to the Lord, and I'm just praying, and I'm just like, God, like, what is going on? This is throwing me for a loop. And, and some of you maybe can relate. It's just th- you begin to think, oh, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not cut out for this. Like maybe, maybe I'm not supposed to work here. Like maybe this isn't my skill set or my, my calling. And, but when you go before the Lord and you see him clearly, he starts to break down the things that are coming against you and reveal truth in a fresh way and give you fresh belief, not only in him, but what he's called you to do and in yourself. So there's a component of belief. When you have it in him, when you see him, you begin to believe your own calling, your own worth, your own purpose. And in that moment, I needed it. That could have taken me out. That could have, that could have shifted me. And I don't know if I read this verse, but I should have, and, and I would have if I knew it. Psalm 121, I will lift my eyes to the hills. From whence, my help com- from whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and earth. I got that song stuck in my head. I can't help it. Like, I'm trying to read this one, but I got that, like, old school 90s song. I lift my hands up to the hills. I I sing it kind of country. I'm from the South. I I admit it. Um, Where does my help come from? It's kind of, that's how I hear it in my mind. You like that? (laughs) My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. (laughs) That's really how I hear it. Is that third day? Man. I'll do that. I'll do, we'll do more later. Um, all right. They don't, they don't sing the rest of it, so I'll, I'll read the rest of it to you in normal English. Um, he will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Man, that's good. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going and your coming from this time forth and even forevermore. So that's the type of stuff you read when you get in a, in a bind, right? Because that's the type of stuff, those scriptures, those truth, they keep you focused on him. They keep you looking to see Jesus as he is and not trying to defend yourself, but say, Lord, you're my defender. You're the one that, that stands for me. I don't got to fight myself. I'm, I, I got to bring it to your courts. I got to stay in your covering. It's a totally different way of dealing with issues when they come your way. So how does Jesus reveal himself as the one that brings belief? And I would say comfort as well. Look, you look at, look at Peter. I'm going to go to John chapter 21, verse 7. Peter, the one that doubted, the one that denied Christ three times, right? So Thomas is the doubter, but Peter is the one, the denier, I guess, if you want to give him a label. And you look at John 21, verse 7, and here's the risen Christ coming to Peter and the disciples on the water during their work while they're fishing, and here's what happens. It says, a little more context, he's on the water. He's maybe <clears throat> he's maybe 100 yards out. 
It's just funny that I'm having such a dry mouth. It's so funny. So he's maybe 100 yards out, and, and, he, and they see him, and they don't realize it's him. And he's saying, hey, throw your, throw your nets overboard. Like, you know, they're not catching anything. It's, it's a total repeat of how they initially met Jesus. And they throw their nets over, and 153 fish pull, get pulled up. And John recognizes it first, the one that, the one that Jesus loves. It's the Lord. And here's where we start. John 21, verse 7. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. (laughs) How crazy is that response, right? Like, when you see the risen Christ you will do some dramatic things. You will pursue him in a really dramatic way, and you shouldn't apologize for it. It's like it is that valuable that Jesus is that lovely and that worth pursuing. And his pursuit, I mean, I bet you, I don't know everything Peter felt, but he must have felt the pursuit of the Lord. So, I mean, the Lord had already shown up in different ways at this juncture, but here he is again, and Peter is not going to miss his chance. I mean, he disappeared before, so I think Peter was also like, I'm going to get to the Lord. I'm going to go be, be with him before. Who knows what happens? He eats the fish and flies off. So he's hurrying. He's rushing to the Lord. And if you read, the, you know, the full context, I'll read just a little piece. Um, so when they had eaten breakfast, this is John 21, verse 15. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. And Jesus says this three times. He goes into this. It's a restorative process that he's having right now with Peter. He's restoring him to be the man of God he's been called to be. He denied him three times. He's restoring him three times. And he's loving him in such a way that it's setting him free from probably any condemnation, any self-hatred, any doubt that he had in himself. His belief in Christ is rising. His belief in himself and his own ability to walk to be the rock that God had called him to be is totally transformed in this moment. That's what happens when you see Jesus clearly. You get transformed. Things fall off of you. Your faith rises. It says he's the author and the perfecter of faith, Hebrews 12. The author and the perfecter of faith. He's imparting that to you when you meet with him. It's totally different than trying to work it up, trying to work it up on your own. No, Jesus, I need to see you clearly. I need to be with you. And I know I'll be free when that's the case. I know I'll see myself rightly when I see you rightly. I know when I receive your love, I'll be able to love. He also runs into our friend Thomas. Now, Thomas, you know, they call him Doubting Thomas, which is so unfair. I mean, the guy, like, did some amazing stuff, right? He preached in India and did a bunch of awesome stuff. He's got one problem, and they really label him. It's it's unfortunate. Um... So John 20, uh, verse 25 through 29, I'm going to read this real quick, and it, and it really lays out Je- how Jesus approaches Thomas in his doubt. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So Thomas wasn't there the first time, so he's kind of bummed. So he says to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them, and Jesus came. The doors being shut and stood, the doors were shut, right? So they're like, whoa, this is crazy. And he stood all of a sudden in their midst, and he said to them, 
peace to you. Now, they needed to hear that word because I'm sure it freaked them out. Um, and then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand here. Put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me and have believed, blessed are those you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Jesus' response to Thomas tells you a lot about who Jesus is. He's not afraid of Thomas's doubt. He's not afraid of your doubt. He's not, he's not coming to, to rebuke Thomas. He's coming to bring correction. He's coming to, to bring faith. And he, and he imparts it. And Thomas believes in that moment. But I love that he doesn't run away from Thomas or, or, or set him aside like, oh, you're, you're not fit. You're like, no, he comes specifically to him and restores him. And the faith in Thomas, I mean, is tremendous. It goes on to be tremendous. So you just see the pursuit of God, and you see when you see him rightly, things come into rhyme, and they get corrected. And we can't get into a place where we allow condemnation, we allow the doubts that we have to keep us from seeing him correctly. Because what we need is to be closer to him, not to believe that he's putting us aside. He didn't put Thomas aside. He's not putting you aside. He's not putting your doubts. Your doubts are not getting in the way. Of him, they're actually they actually may be provoking him to reveal himself more to you. I love that about God. The more doubts you have, the stronger he's gonna come at you. He's not running from you, he's running to you. And you know, the Lord, when he corrects, it's not destructive, it's restorative. That's a totally different way. We're used sometimes to, as especially if you grow up in different households, correction is terrifying. It's like, oh, man, like I'm going to get excommunicated or, oh, man, like you feel the sting. Even when, even when parental correction isn't that bad, in our minds sometimes we just try to run. But Jesus' correction, it restores. It builds up. It's totally different. And so we have to renew our minds to, to recognize that's what he's doing. Um, so one last scene in this section. Um, Jesus, he brings faith and clarity and hope to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. So the disciples, right, they're walking along, and this is Luke 24. I'm just going to read it quickly, 24:17. He says to them, they're walking, so they're walking along talking about things that are happening, like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. Like, Jesus, we, you know, we, we, we've heard that he raised from the dead. We don't know what's going on. And they, they're having a lot of doubt, and they're having a lot of worry, and they're trying to figure it out. And, and he says to them, they don't know it's him, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? So it just tells you a little bit about, what's happening, but I love that that's where he chooses to step in, the risen Christ, right? And if you keep reading um, Luke 24, verse 25, he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. Okay, stop there. If Jesus ever tells you, or you hear like, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe, do not run away, draw closer, Okay. Like, that first statement can scare the heck out of you. But if it's him and you stay in, listen to what he says. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures 
in the things concerning himself. He brought clarity to them. He came and he, he brought a you know, rebuke, if you will, but he came to bring clarity. And he came to actually engage with not just their hearts, but their intellects. Isn't that interesting, right? Like, we want to engage all, we want to, like, love Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, your mind, too. He engaged their minds, and he showed them all this stuff was foretold about me. And that's how he loved them in that moment. It's, it's so good. And, and I think, you know, I just love how he loves us all in different ways, and he knows what we need. And this, he brought clarity and intellectual understanding into their, into their heart. So good. All right. Last point, verse, or this isn't a verse, this is a point. So first, when you see Jesus, it causes you to worship. When you see the resurrected Christ. When you see Jesus, it causes you to believe in God. And when you see Jesus, I lost my point. (laughs) I have so many notes. When you see Jesus, it causes you to lay down your life. It is a natural reaction to a God that good and that holy and that loving. Now, what else makes you react that way? Nothing. Because <laughs> nothing is as good as Jesus. Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. This is the Great Commission. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That last part's really important. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Make disciples of all nations. That's a big statement. That is the type of statement that if you were the disciples with their training, you'd think, what the heck? All nations, dang. Like, this is, this is for real. Um, but they take that word, and they do it. <laughs> and they lay down their life. And almost every single one of them dies for their faith in crazy ways. When they see Jesus, they believe him. And when they see Jesus, it transforms their life. They're willing to lay down their own life. Because he's that good. So when, you, when you're really seeing him, yeah, it's hard to lay down your life. Let's, let's be honest. But when you're really seeing him, it's way easier. Because you know how good he is. You know how powerful he is. You know how wonderful he is. You know his love. And it's easier. It's just easier that way. We're just trying to work it up. So if you even do a study, this is the funniest study to do. If you take, like, all the, the disciples, right, and you just study how they act in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Gospels versus how they act in, like, the book of Acts and the epistles. It is hilarious. Like, and I used to always, I, I mean, it's a great reminder of the, important, the need of the Holy Spirit because in the Gospels, I mean, they don't know what's going on sometimes. They're like, call down fire on this city. It's like, no, 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 don't do that. Like, that's not good. That's not the heart of God. Um, or, you know, they're just, they're fighting over each other about who's first or whatever. But in Acts and the epistles, they are bringing the kingdom of God in power. They are healing the sick. They are raising the dead. They are loving one another. They're giving up all their money. They're, they're pulling it all together. And, and it's, it's a totally different people group. You think, how is that guy the same as the guy in, in the Gospels? The empowerment of the Holy Spirit is one very, very important answer. Now, when the, Jesus leaves, I and mean, we haven't gotten this, and, 
And he says, wait on me because it's going to be better if I leave. And the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to empower you. But what preceded the Spirit coming? It was the revelation of Jesus. They had to know who Jesus was. They had to receive the revelation and see him as he was before they could receive the impartation of the Spirit and have the Spirit enter into them. That part, I I haven't thought about enough. (laughs) I haven't thought about enough. But read, just go through and read the storylines, and it reminds you, oh, my goodness. Like, when God calls you to do something, he, he has a plan, and he'll put, this, he's put the Spirit of God in you to actually walk that out. And the way you walk that out is he causes them to disciple nations, and he says, I am with you always. You do not do it alone. Ministry, work, like, they're all the same, by the way. Like, you, your life is a mission field. And none of that is separate from the Lord. None of it. Not a bit of it. Because he said, I am with you always. I'm calling you to do this great thing. But it's not the great thing. It's actually like, it's actually about you walking with me and us co-laboring together to do this great thing. And that word co-laboring is implied in this text. And it's something we cannot forget. When we begin doing things on our own, we are in big trouble. And we are, we are, we are prone to not see Jesus as he is to begin working for him, trying to bring the kingdom, trying to do the things he said to do. And we may be, we may be like, like myself and m- my dry throat, you know, we may be kind of doing all the stuff, right? Reading our Bible, like praying, all those things you should do, by the way, a lot. But we may be doing that, but we're not seeing him clearly. And so we wonder why we're drinking all this water and our throat is parched. And he's saying, it's because you don't see me clearly. It's because you're not intimate with me. That's why this stuff is so hard, so I can't stress it enough. It's like, God, like, help us to see you clearly. Father, help us to not do things on our own. Help us to co-labor with you. And God, thank you that when we co-labor with you, we're going to do these crazy things that we can never believe. And the disciples could never believe the stuff that they were able to do. They could never believe that they're going to flip the world upside down because the spirit of God was coming in them. And they weren't even ready for it. But, man, they were hungry and open enough to receive it. And so were we. Worship team, could you guys could you guys come up? I want to read Mark 16, verse 19, just to drive home this point. Mark 16, verse 19. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven, and he sat down with them at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere. The Lord was working through them, confirming the world, the word, through the accompanying signs. So you get that point. They went out. Their response to the risen Christ was to go out and preach everywhere. To preach everywhere. That's what they did because it was so impactful. What his love and his impact on their heart was so tremendous. They went and preached everywhere. And then what does it say? The Lord working with them and confirming the word, accompanying with signs. I think we've gotten so used to doing things on our own in certain sections, right? We all have our stuff. Maybe you're used to doing things on your own with your family, like just not doing it with God is what I mean. I mean doing it on your own, right? Or maybe your work, your job. You're used to just doing it on your own. You habitually kind of just think, I just got to like hunker down and do this. Work harder. Do things. Be smarter. The Lord wants to break that. He really does. And we each have our own thing that we kind of habitually can can go into works mode. I'm going to do it myself mode. But it says he was working with them, 
he was confirming the word. And he actually gave them signs and wonders as well to confirm what he was doing. We can pray for that. We can ask for that. The Holy Spirit is the fast track to seeing Jesus rightly. He's who we're asking. We want to see him rightly. We say, Holy Spirit, show me Jesus. Holy Spirit loves Jesus. Holy Spirit's job is to reveal Jesus. He's the comforter. He's the one. He's, a, he's bringing the truth of Christ. Christ. 